Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, Epiph, it is good to be here with you. It is an honor and delight to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, the scripture says in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And I have no clue how you walked in here today, what you walked in here with. Some of you might have walked in here with a chaotic week. Uh, you might have just cussed a family member out on your way into service. I don't, I don't know what you walked in here with. Uh, but in the presence of the Lord, we should be, we should be joy, jumping with joy. And maybe that you online. Thank you for hanging out with us, those of you who are online. Uh, but wherever you are, the presence of the Lord is there. And that's, that's one of the things I love about the presence of God. You don't have to come to 960 Atlantic Avenue to, to experience the presence of God. You know, the Bible says, David says that if I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, even there, you are there. And so there, there's nowhere you can go that the Lord isn't there. But we do get together, together to experience the presence of God together and walk out of here with just a little bit more joy. And I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see y'all. Every day the Lord gives us is an extension of his grace, an extension of his mercy. He didn't owe you a day. He didn't owe you a day because you did well this week. He gave you a day because he's merciful and because he's gracious. And I never want to take for granted the fact that we woke up. You know, my, my father's here. My father used to say, man, I'm just glad to be in the land of the living. <laughs> the pandemic ain't teach you nothing else. It should have taught us to be grateful for life. And we get together in here and celebrate not just physical life, but spiritual life that is only found in Jesus. Uh, I'm excited about preaching the word. It's my responsibility. Grab your Bibles or your devices. And do me a favor, get to the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. If you have no, no familiarity with the scripture, the book of Revelation. By the way, it's Revelation. Don't put an S on that. It don't belong there. I did devotion with my son earlier this week, my youngest son, and he's talking about some revelations. I'm like, that don't go there. Back, back in the day, my friends used to be like, I'm going to Red Lobsters. I'm like, it's, it's just Red Lobster. Uh, but Revelation is where we're going to be hanging out today. A couple of quick things before we, um, I, don't know, I don't know if it's too quick, just um, give me some grace and, and make, making sure I explain a little bit of this. You, you can keep going. Um, first is our small groups. I'm really excited about small groups. Like I, if you're in this room and you are, have been working on small groups at all, can you just make a little noise? A few of them? All right. Y'all didn't, didn't want to make too much noise, huh? Um, small groups is exceptionally important. I can't, I can't even explain how important small groups is. It is the lifeline of community in our church. We've, we've tried, you know, for so long to say, man, we're just going to do community on Sunday mornings. It don't work. It, it's not how, it's not how the faith is supposed to, um, supposed to operate. If you read Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, they were together daily. Now I'm not just, I'm not saying, you know, this, this ain't no cultish, let's share forks. I mean, I don't share forks. We don't do that. Uh, but, but this is, man, let's get together and let's walk out this thing called the Christian life together because it's a journey and it's very difficult to do it on your own. In fact, I would say it's, um, it's not even biblical to do Christianity on your own. Isolated Christianity is not authentic Christianity. We're supposed to live life together. Um, and, you know, the beauty in the gospel is that it brings people together that would have never been friends. We would have sat next to each other on the train and got off at our stop and kept going We'd have never spoke, you know, in the street or in the coffee shop. But what small group does is it gives us the ability to be able to know and be known. Somebody say that. Say know and be known. The days of slipping in church and slipping out of church, that's over. That's that's whack Christianity. I just I don't I'm not a Christian to come to check off the box on Sunday morning. That's just not. I want to be known and I want to know and I want people to know what I'm struggling with and community small groups helps us to do that. So we got nine of them uh, around the city. We have one in Clinton Hill. We have one in Jersey. We have amen. We have three in Flatbush. We have two in do or die bed We got one in Harlem. We have one virtual and we have zero in the Bronx. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Don't do that. 
All right, y'all. Trust me, small groups is small groups is where you want to be. I do want to say it does take sacrifice. Like it, it, it does. It takes a level of sacrifice. It, the, you can go to the website and kind of find out when and where the small groups are, um, just in case the announcement wasn't clear enough. You can go to the website right now and you can see pictures of who the leaders are and where it is. They got some cool names of the small groups, but it's 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 where it's where it's at. When you are hurting and you are in need. And you come to me and say, Pastor B, and I get this all the time, like I'm in need, I'm hurting. My first question is, what small group are you a part of? Because I believe that as the church gets bigger, which we are growing, it should get smaller. Does that make sense? As the church continues to grow, we should continue to grow in getting smaller. And the way we do that is through our small groups. Uh, so I'm hoping you're there. All right, let me move on. Uh, next, I, I just I want to communicate this is clearly as possible when we started the pandemic or when we went into the pandemic March of 2020 um, you know we we went into it you know like everybody else optimistic that this thing was just gonna be a week you know two weeks maybe three weeks and then every week we was like oh man like this thing is getting this is, this is serious and so we made the decision I think it was the third Sunday in March to shut all of our in-person service down and we did that because we wanted to protect you guys. You know, we as leaders talk about this all the time. Your elders talk about this all the time. As staff, we're, we're constantly kind of processing. We did surveys. We reached out to you, asking you guys how you feel. Um, and, and so, you know, we didn't meet for 21 months intentionally because we wanted to protect you. And, and then even, you know, at that time, we stopped our small groups. We were in people's homes. We stopped small groups. And then even when we started gathering in November of last year, um, we did so safely. We said masks were mandatory. If you come into the building, masks are mandatory. We didn't have food because you'd have to take off your mask to eat. In the very beginning, we didn't do communion because you'd have to take off your mask to do communion. And then we slowly introduced, y'all remember all this stuff? We slowly introduced communion back into our gatherings. In most cases, we were um, way more cautious and careful than even what the CDC was recommending. Like, even now, you're sitting here with masks. You go to the restaurant down the street, you, ain't nobody wearing masks. You get on a flight, you ain't got to wear a mask. And so we um, were more cautious, even though what the CDC was, was uh, recommending. But after many conversations and uh, surveys that went out to you guys, and you guys filled them out, we got to hear from you, conversations we had with many medical professionals and even pastors around the city, uh, we are, we've made the decision to make masks optional starting next week. Now, now don't, don't everybody just take off your mask now, because I want everybody to be comfortable. But starting next week, we, you, can, you can certainly come in and you can choose. What that means is if you want to come in without a mask, come in without a mask. If you want to come in with a mask, you want to put two, three, four masks on, go ahead, wrap them around. It's all good. We, no, no judgment either way, whether you got a mask on or you don't, whatever makes you comfortable. Uh, a couple of things that we're doing to make sure that we're caring for those that might be a little bit, you know, more cautious. If you come in and, you know, you have a cloth mask or, you know, just a regular surgical mask and you want something a little bit more secure, you can request from our hospitality team an N95 mask, which is a more secure mask, and we will make those available. But they're only upon request. So if you ask for a mask, we'll give you a, a regular mask. But if you ask for an N95 and you need a little bit more protection, we will make sure that that's available to you. Uh, also, we have purchased and placed around the sanctuary, but also in some of the other common meeting spaces, we've, we've placed air purifiers. And so we're trying to filter out the air as, we are in, as, we, as we're in here with, uh, with no mask on. A couple of things, uh, children's ministry volunteers will continue to wear masks. And so if your child is downstairs or you'll have your child downstairs next week, you, you should rest assured that the children's ministry volunteers will have on masks and also our tech team. Uh, you may not know this, but our tech team meets in the room. Meets. They are in the room next, next to us, and they're kind of doing all the tech stuff that's virtual, and they meet in a refrigerator. It's, it's literally a walk-in refrigerator. It's temporary until we get everything worked out. But um, it's tight in there, and so we're asking them and requiring them to wear masks in, the, in there. And then once they come out of that room, they can be like, you know, Trump when he was on the Truman balcony, he ripped off his mask. Just, just do that. Judgment-free zone. Um, if things get out of control uh, in terms of the world and, and CDC gets a little tighter, uh, we may come back and, and make them mandatory, but right now we're just trying to follow through. You know, I've never passed through a pandemic, 
And, uh, and I, there was no class in seminary on how to pastor through a pandemic. So we've been trying to figure this thing out as we are, we are moving. So thank you for your grace. Uh, finally, I just got to give you a quick building update and we'll get in the word of the Lord. Um, we have, we, by God's grace, we were able to secure this place, uh, honestly, a year now. I don't know if you know this, but we signed our lease for this place in September of last year. And then we moved in in November and we immediately started working and trying to get the builders department to approve our renovations and it took us a long many months and so I told you guys we finally got everything approved well we are now at the point where I can give you some updates some tentative dates uh, next week actually tomorrow we are signing uh, the construction contract and we're clearing out the space in fact uh, those of you who can help if you have a few minutes to help meet Gabe right over here right after service uh, so he can give give you guys some some direction and information. But uh, we're clearing out the space uh, this week. We are loading the construction stuff in. The construction team is loading stuff in the building down in the, uh, the, the first floor. And we'll begin construction. Demo will start the following week. So next week, demo will start. And then uh, right after demo, we'll move right into renovations. And it's going to take around five to six weeks to knock out renovations. It's phase one and phase two. So phase one is all of the sanctuary downstairs will be built out, and we're going to do a couple of offices, not too much up here. Uh, phase two will happen when you uh, continue to be generous. Amen? amen? I need somebody to say amen right there. <laughs> Listen, man, this building stuff is extremely expensive. I, I told y'all, I don't know if y'all went elevator shopping or, you know, lift shopping. Even plywood is expensive these days. So um, it does take, it does cost a lot. Uh, the week of 11-14, it might be the week before, but we're still working out the date. But we have a company called Housewright that will be coming in. It's a group of professionals that um, will help us set up our lights and help us to figure out our sound downstairs. Uh, I'm telling you, when you move into a building and there's echoes, I talked about this last week, you can't just like throw lights and throw sound up. You need professionals that know, you know, systems and mathematics and they, you know, they do a whole bunch of tests to make sure that uh, there are no distractions when we come into the house of God. So that starts 1114. And then prayerfully, Friday, November 18th, I am hoping, this is tentative, so don't hold me to this. More information will come. But depending on how, everything's go, how everything goes, November 18th, my hope is to do a building dedication it's a Friday, and so what I mean by that is I want the worship team thick. I want the band here. I, I want to invite some guest pastors, um, and I want to worship and pray. And I want that to be our first service downstairs. Uh, we'll do the whole thing, cut the ribbon, walk in, that whole thing, um, and then you guys will rebuild the sanctuary to you guys that will be permanently starting the very next Sunday, which is November 20th. That's the plan. Amen. That's the plan. If you, if you can just continue to give us, give us your time, we really, we really do need, we need help. When we got this place fixed up and painted in here, we knocked it out because we had people that were willing to join in and help. So if you can lend your time, that'd be great. Your generosity, your resources is always a blessing. We have a, a tight stewardship on how we do our resources here. A lot of eyes, ain't no, it's not one person that's over, like a lot of eyes are looking at our resources. So if you continue to give, uh, speaking of generosity, we asked you guys a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, if you would consider giving to an unexpected, and I don't know what that was. Is that the Lord? Oh, Jesus. Um, that, that really scared me. Right up this ramp, we got a, um, we, we, were, we were putting in a, I messed up. We, <laughs> we putting in a lift. Because uh, we, we told the DOB we couldn't do an elevator in the space. And so they agreed that we could put a lift up on the ramp. Told you guys it would cost somewhere between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. I said, man, we don't have it. It's, it's over, you know, it's above and beyond what we were expecting on a project. And so we need $30,000 in a few months. Well, by God's grace, you guys responded. And so far we have raised for the lift, not for the project, but for the lift, in a few months, we've raised $28,402.54. Jair, you gave that extra 54 cent? Grace and peace to you, brother. Listen, every penny counts. Y'all remember the widows with the two copper coins? And Jesus says she put in more than anybody else. 
So everything matters. And, and so by God's grace, we, uh, I would say we're close to our goal, but if I can be honest, I think we've reached our goal simply because um, we have one person, I don't know if he's in this room, but I don't want to call his name out. He, um, he was able to secure a match from his job. And so, yeah, and so he, he gave some money and then his job matched it. And so we might be somewhere around 31K at this point. So by God's grace, man, y'all did it. So thank you. Thank you, but let, don't let this announcement, you know, be the thing that says, oh, they good, they got it. We, cont- we continue to need your generosity because your generosity has nothing to do with the lift anyway. That's just, that's just what I told you, but honestly, your generosity has everything to do with the fact that God gave his best. He gave Jesus. And because he gave Jesus, I now respond with generosity. There is no such thing as a Christian that holds his money or holds her money. We look at what Jesus did to us, for us, and we begin to be generous back to him. All right. Enough small talk. Let's get to it. Revelation 3. Y'all there? If y'all can just say, I'm, I'm there, B. I'm there. All right. If y'all can turn that air on for me. All right. Revelation 3. It ain't, it ain't quite winter yet, so we, we need a little bit of heat, a little air in here. All right. Pick me up in verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? The words of him who have who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Please make note of these next four words. I know your works. If you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen that which which remains and is ready to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. Let me read that again. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. I'm going to preach in our part two from the topic entitled part-time Christian. Thank you, Pop, for standing for the word. Um, Part-time Christians. Um, Really quickly, last week we looked at 1 Thessalonians and we got to see like what the uh, the church at Thessalonica was doing. And it was very clear that they were not part-time Christians. They were faithful in what they were doing. And the scripture goes on to say that the word of the Lord echoed or has sounded forth everywhere. So everywhere they went, they was carrying the gospel with them. And we walked away and we said, man, we want to pattern our lives after that. Well, today we're in part two as we look at the church at Sardis. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, this morning, this afternoon, rather, we, we gathered to be challenged by your word. We gather to be encouraged by your word, and we, we thank you that you're able to do both at the same time. You, you can challenge us, and you can convict us, but you can always encourage us at the same time. So break us down, but also build us back up for your glory. May we see Jesus. Shut my mouth if I'm not talking Jesus today, because we need to hear from him. He's the only one that brings life. And so would you give us a crystal clear picture of your son, Jesus? It's in his name and his name alone we pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Part-time Christians. In the mid to early 2000s, there was a a new group that emerged, a dietary group that emerged called the New Vegetarians. And the New Vegetarians are interesting. They, they, They have a vegan diet, just not all the time. They're vegans Sometimes. And so when the urge to eat meat, every now and then they'll get the urge to eat some pork and every now and then they'll get the urge to eat some chicken or eat some beef. And they'll, they'll eat because they're not full time vegetarians. I know many of you in this room that claim to be vegetarians really are the new age vegetarians. I, I know Ty is a new age vegetarian. She she swears she ain't no pork on her fork, ain't no, ain't no swine when she dying. And then we go out to eat and she'd be like, can I have a dry aged burger with bacon, please? Uh, many of you in this room are in that category of a new, uh, new vegetarian. But the vegan community in 2007, they pushed back. 
They said, y'all can't call yourselves vegetarians. You are not true and real vegetarian. If you eat meat at any part of the week, you are no longer considered a vegetarian. And so they made them, they forced them to change their names. And so the new vegetarians changed their names in 2007 to flexitarians. Since I'm not making this up, you can Google this. Flexitarians. Now, just in case you're not quick on the uptake, a flexitarian is a play on the words flexible and vegetarian. And so a, 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 a flexitarian will say I'm a vegetarian while at the same time they'll go to the bodega and get a chopped cheese and dare you to say something about it. Because they every now and then when the urge is strong enough, when the desire is strong enough, and when the discipline is not in play, every now and then, they'll begin to eat meat. Now, you're sitting here going, well, Pastor B, what do, what do you, how is this tied to the church at Sardis? Here's, here's my concern as your pastor, and it's honestly, it's been a prayer of mine consistently, at least for the last couple months. Mixed into this room is a group of people who are faithful followers. You're just faithful to the Lord. You ain't perfect. But you're a faithful follower of the Lord. But also mixed in this room is a group of people that are flexitarian followers. You pick and choose what scriptures you will and will, will not obey. You, you pick and choose what commands you will and will not adhere to. You say Sundays is my day where I do my Jesus thing, but Monday through Saturday, you, you look at that as your time and it's my business and it's my sin and it's my money. And at the end of the day, you're nothing more than a flexitarian follower. You are a follower of Jesus that picks and chooses when you want to be a Christian, but followers can't be sometimes. And I said this before, especially with a God that's good all the time. How can we be flexitarian? How can we be flexible with our Christianity? And I, I would argue the same way the vegan community said, you're not real vegetarians. I would argue that if you're in here and you have the identity of being a flexitarian Christian, I would argue that you should check if you're really a Christian. Now, what do I mean by that? You, you, you know that if Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Can we be real clear about this? That there is no such thing as Christ being your Lord sometimes. If Christ ain't Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And so with the same passion, the vegan community said, no, nah, that ain't it. I, I want to push that to you. Now, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing because you're looking at me with those judgmental eyes. Here's what you're doing. You're going, Pastor B, don't be causing me to, you know, question my walk with the Lord. Okay, well, let's let Paul do that. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Verse number five, examine yourself to see if you are really of the faith. He then goes on to say, test yourself. Do you know that Christ is in you? And then he says, unless you have failed the test. And then he's, he told that to the church at Corinth. I'd argue the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. They speak, he got four chapters on how they speaking in tongues and how they prophesying. You know they were all baptized because chapter one of 1 Corinthians, they was going, Apollos baptized us, Cephas baptized us, uh, Paul baptized us. So we know that this was a churchy church. But at the end of the day, Paul picks up the pen in the second letter in chapter 13. He says, but some of y'all are flexitarian followers. Some of y'all have been walking and you've been kind of identifying as a Christian, but really you're a nominal Christian. What is a nominal Christian? You're a Christian by name only. And, and, and I wonder if your behavior matches your profession. Young people, please hear your boy. It's, it's an oxymoron to be a flexitarian Christian. It's an oxymoron to be a flexitarian follower. If I ain't following Jesus all the way, like I'm just not coming to church. I'm not doing this. I, I have much. I have many things that I can do that are way more fun than sitting in here watching Pastor B yell at you. There's so much more. You could be at brunch right now, and brunch in 2022 be popping. I found this out over the sabbatical. So y'all be doing this at brunch? Never went to 12 o'clock brunch in, in Brooklyn. It's, it just be popping. It's so much more you can do. But if you're going to, to adhere to this thing called Christianity, let's not do it part time. Let's not do it halfway. Let's do it all the way. Now, here's the thing. Many of you in this room, you can't fool me. I don't care if you show up every week. I don't care, those of you who are online, if you log on every, every week. I don't care if you're serving. I don't care if you can quote scripture. I, I don't. I don't care if you've been in church for 50 years. 
You can, there are some people that are in this room that really should be asking ourselves, am I okay picking and choosing when I want to be a Christian? And if I'm okay with that, am I really a Christian at heart? Because if you can get comfortable with Jesus being Lord some of the time, I'm telling you, you need to check that. So in the text today, I love this, this passage, we get a letter to the church at Sardis. Somebody say Sardis. Now, Jesus must have been in his writing bag because what he's doing in the, in, in the top of Revelation is Jesus writes a letter to seven different churches. And in those letters, he's addressing so many different things. And in one of the letters, in the first letter, he, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. This should be popping up somewhere. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to them because they abandoned their first love. And then he writes a letter to the church at Smyrna. Somebody say Smyrna. He's encouraging them to be faithful even in their persecution. And then he writes to the church at Pergamum. Somebody say Pergamum. He writes to the church at Pergamum because he's rebuking them because they're compromising on their beliefs. And then he writes a letter to a church called Thyatira. Somebody say Thyatira. Now, he, he must have been real tight with them because, you know, he writes a letter to them because they are submitting to false prophets. And he actually writes in chapter two a little bit of attitude. This is what he says to the church at Thyatira. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. It's almost like Jesus is like, yo, y'all know I don't fool up with her. And y'all following false prophets like Jezebel. Then he writes to the fifth church, the church at Philadelphia. And he writes to them because they're patiently enduring. And then he writes to the church at Laodicea. Somebody say Laodicea. Now, y'all might know this church. You know, he said, man, I, I wish that y'all was either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, ain't nothing worse than going to a lukewarm church. Because, and, you know, me, I, I like everything either hot or cold. I do. I, I like my tea, hot or cold. It can't be warm. I like my coffee, hot or cold. It can't be warm. He says, because you're, you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then finally, he writes to a church called Sardis. And he has some very interesting thoughts about this church. Pick me back up in verse 1. The B part of first one says, I know your works. For you have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. Can I just lift up the first four, four words because they messed me up this week. I know your works. It messed me up all Monday and it messed me up all Tuesday. Why? Because not only did Jesus know exactly what was going on in the church at Sardis in chapter 3, but he intimately was, was acquainted with every detail of every church that he wrote to. Let me go deeper. He's acquainted with every detail of every church in the New Testament. Let me go deeper. He's acquainted with every church in 2022. If John of Patmos, which wrote the book of Revelation, walked in here right now and handed us a letter from Jesus and said, read the letter. And Jesus started the letter. I know your works, dot, 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 dot. Your boy is nervous. Okay, that may not hit you. Let me go a little personal because now you're like, oh, well, he writing to the church. If Jesus wrote you a personal letter and he started the letter and said, I know your works. See, the thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't just know uh, our, our, our action, but Jesus actually knows our thoughts. When he says, I know your works, I ain't saying I know what you did. He's saying, I know what you thought. He's not just saying, I know you did good works with, with bad intention. He's like, I know the intention. And so it makes your boy a little uneasy. The fact that Jesus intimately knows us, nothing is hidden from him. Everything is laid before him. And now here's the crazy thing. You can fool us. Like, I, I might not know your walk. I might not know what you did. And I know there are many of you in this room that have done things that you're not proud of and you haven't told anybody about. And let me just say there's grace for you. But there are many people in this room that you have done some things that nobody else knows about. And we might all be fooled. But you know who you can't pull the wool over their eyes? Jesus. He knows because nothing is hidden from him. Our thoughts, our actions, our behavior, our intentions. He knows all of it, so this scares me. And it should scare you too. But it doesn't only scare me. The fact that he said, I know your works, also gives me joy. Well, why does it give me joy? Because despite the fact that he knows my shortcomings, he still chooses me. I need somebody that is grateful for grace and grateful for mercy. 
the fact that he knows you. Like, I, I love the song that says, you see the depths of my heart and you still love me the same. The fact that he knows, yes, it does scare me, but the fact that he knows and still says, but she's still mine. The fact that he knows and says, but he's still mine is nothing but grace. It is nothing but mercy. You're, you're, you're like this whole, you know, system of good. You know, he knows the good, but he also knows the bad. And my good outweighs my bad. You know, he too holy for that type of stuff. He sees the bad and you're done. It's, it's that simple. And so the moment we mess up, we, we should be done. But God says, but I love him. I give him grace. I know what they did. I know what she did. I know the decision. She got all her friends fooled. I, I'm sure the whole Trinity is in heaven going, yo, Holy Spirit, like they think they got us fooled. But, but we know. Because Jesus just said, I know your works. Somebody said, I know your works. And then look at somebody and say, but he still loves you. Does that, does that do something to you? Because it messes me up when I think about the fact, when I think about me. See, I'm not saying, he not, he's not saying I know the social media you. He's not saying I know the you that you present to everybody else. Y'all know we can't live up to our gram. He's not saying I know the filtered you. He's saying I know the you when, you when your breath stink, when you're at home, when your hair ain't done. I know that you. I know the 3 a.m. you. Because not only do I know, but I was there. I'm in the room. I'm in the DM. I'm in the text message. I know your works, but he knows us and still loves us. And the truth is, you know, and this is not a grace. This is not a license. You know, grace isn't a license to do whatever you want. Grace should motivate you to, to, to behave. I just want to be clear about that because a lot of people get confused on what grace is. God is gracious. That means I can do whatever I want. Once again, you should, you should question if, you're, if you can think like that, you should question if you're really following Jesus. Because when I think of that fact that he didn't kill me when I messed up, it makes me run to the cross and kneel at the cross. But built into our relationship with the Lord is a mechanism called grace because he knows you're going to mess up. Can I say that again? Built into the, 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 the relationship that you have with the Lord is a mechanism called, called grace because he knows you will mess up. Look at Israel. Israel, the whole Old Testament from Revelation 3 up. The whole Old Testament is God's people being faithful to the Lord, not being faithful to the Lord, them being punished, them repenting. That's the cycle of the whole, New Te whole Old Testament. Do you know how many times that they, were, they went into to exile because they were disobedient and then they repented and the Lord restored them? The fact that he keeps restoring them is God's grace. Y'all ever heard of the prophet Hosea? Prophet Hosea the only prophet that was told to marry a prostitute. And the only reason he was told to marry a prostitute is because he wanted him to know what it felt like to be in relationship with Israel. And when I, when I understand what, what, what Jesus says to Hosea, it's one thing if he said, go marry her, because then I can just tolerate her. I'll do what God said, but I ain't got to like actually have affections for her. Jesus helps us. Jesus doesn't only say marry her. He says, love her. How do I know that? Because Hosea chapter three, verse one says, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Here's why. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, God is like, look, I'm not tolerating you. I gave Hosea as an example of how I love you despite the fact that you mess up. And this is why I say he messes me up when he says, I know your works because he knows my works and still loves me. He still cares for me. Can we praise a God in this room that loves us even though we mess up? So he says, I know your works. There's nothing you do that's in private. You, can, you cannot sin in isolation. You, you cannot sin and Jesus doesn't see it. There's no rock you can sin behind. There's no cave you can go to. He's at the creep spot. He's at the crib. He's on the train. He's everywhere and he sees all things. I, can I pray for a second? Because I feel like somebody in this room has a lot of shame tied to what they did. And I just want to free you up because God sees it and he still wants you. And today he's given you an opportunity to repent. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room. I know, I'm in the middle of the sermon, Lord. I know this ain't protocol. But Father, we need you to come down and restore our brokenness. Because many of us walk in shame because of what we've done. 
And we walk in shame because nobody else knows it. And we, Lord, we know it's not aligned to what you want from us. But, Father, today you've given us a chance to get it right. And so, Father, we say thank you and restore us. We say thank you and redeem us. So, Father, I pray that you would bring back the backslider right now. Pray that you would bring back the one that kind of got comfortable in that sin. Would you bring them back, but don't bring them back in shame and fear because of punishment. Bring them back because you are gracious and you are merciful and you are loving and you know us and you still give us another chance. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody say, I know your works. Yet I still love you. Yet, yet I still want you. Flexitarian followers, he knows that you're not really following to a T. Now watch this. In, in verse number two, what do you know, Jesus? He says, well, I, I, I know your works. He says, watch this, you have a reputation. Somebody say reputation of being alive, but you were dead. He says, now remember last week we were talking about the, the church at Thessalonica, and I said, man, that's the reputation we should have. I would love to remember I was talking about the reputation of the church, and that's my, been my prayer. And I said, man, these quote-unquote uh, celebrity pastors, I pray for them because the world sees them, and when they fall, it's a bad indictment on the entire church. And so I pray for the entire church, whether I agree with them theologically, missiologically. I pray for everybody that's in the limelight because the enemy wants to take them down because, the, you know, a, a regular, a normal non-believer ain't coming in a epiphany, but they see Mike Todd. And so I want to pray that God upholds him and that God continues to sustain him. And why do I pray that? Because I don't want an indictment on the church. So I said, look, your reputation matters. You go to work, you go around your family, it matters. But then I realized in the text today, reputation in and of itself isn't enough. Because the church at Sardis had a spotless reputation. He said, watch what he says. You have a reputation of being alive. They had everybody in Sardis fooled. All y'all think we are killing it. And Jesus said, oh, but I've, 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 un, I've, I've looked past all of the distractions and I actually see that you're not alive. You're really dead. He says, everybody around you thinks you're a real follower, but I know that you're a flexitarian follower. Everybody else around you thinks you got a great prayer life, but I know you don't never talk to me. Everybody around you, because you can quote some scripture, think that you have a good diet of, of reading the word of God, but you only know it because you, you grew up in church and you memorized some scripture and you got a good memory, but you don't really know your word and apply your word. And Jesus is like, look, I know you got a reputation. So rep listen, epiphany, reputation ain't enough. Because what, what he's really doing here, here is he, he's saying, he's warning us from being Christians by profession only. And warning us to be Christians by demonstration. You're not just a Christian because you profess faith. That might get you baptized. If you come to me tomorrow and say, Pastor B, like, I'm professing faith in Jesus and I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to baptize you because I don't know your heart. But that ain't enough to get into heaven. What Jesus wants is demonstration because demonstration actually shows us what's really in the heart. Your, your walk is really is, is an x-ray of what's in your heart. And so what he says in the text is, look, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but let's be real. You're as dead as a doornail. You know, churches that have a reputation of being alive, but, being real, but, but really being dead have existed forever. We can look at Sardis, but I can fast forward to 2022 and tell you that there are some churches that look alive and are really dead. And they normally got the best music. And they normally got the most charismatic preaching. And, and, they, and they, they normally have the best lights and the best logo and the best, best website. And if you dig deep enough, it's the walking dead. You dig deep enough and it's a bunch of zombies from the pulpit down. And, and, and it hurts my heart. You know, when I read the stats that one out of every four churches in the pandemic have closed, it hurt my heart. But then I realized, oh, God, you're probably closing the door to some churches that look alive but are really dead. And some of you have been connected to not just the institutions that look alive, but people that really look alive. But when you dig deep enough, they're really dead. This is why I could care less just about your amen. Do you have action? This is why I could care less about your hallelujah. Do you have action? This is why I could, the church at Sardis, they had everybody fooled. 
This is why I could care less that you can memorize. I could care less. I, no, I, I care that you go to small group. But I could care less if you go to small group and you're still part-time in your Christian faith. As your pastor, I want to encourage you to be full-time. I want to encourage you to give Jesus all. I want to encourage you not to play games. I want to encourage you not to do that tiptoeing stuff that nobody else knows about because it all matters. Dead churches. It ain't nothing worse than dead preaching. It's nothing. It's nothing worse than worship that's dead. It's, 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 nothing, it's nothing worse than it. And my hope and prayer for Epiphany Church is that we wouldn't be that place. Because there are many people that will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. And God going to be like, but I don't even know who you are. Go to Matthew 7. Real quick. Go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. There are other places in Scripture that have similar passages, but Matthew 7 is so clear to me. Watch what Jesus says. This is the, this is the day of judgment. Verse 22, it says, on, the day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Verse 23, and the Lord will declare to them, I never knew you. He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'm reading this going, workers of lawlessness, they prophesy and they casting out demons. How are they workers of lawlessness? And so he's like, look, you can be the churchiest of church, but if you ain't got no action, you are dead. If your reputation is far greater than your actual behavior, then you are really dead. And there are many of you that are taking lightly your, your Christian faith. You're, you're taking it lightly. You're like, you know, I'll get it together one day. No, the day to get it together is today because religion won't save you. Because coming to church won't save you. Speaking in tongues won't save you. Prophesying won't save you. But what saves us is when we are blood-bought and when you are really blood-bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, everything around you changes. I can't think the same. I can't talk the same. I can't, I can't hang out with the same people. I can't do the same stuff I used to do. Because when I give my life to the Lord, I want him to have full access to every part of me. Every, every part of my heart, you ever invite somebody over or they showed up unannounced? I hate that. Don't ever do that. But they showed up unannounced and your house ain't clean. Y'all know what we do. We go shut them doors because we don't want people to see rooms that are dirty because then they'll judge us. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is coming into your heart today and he doesn't want you to shut any doors. He's going to bust the door down and help you clean up. He sees the dishes and helps you clean them up. So nothing is hidden before the Lord. Don't have a reputation of being alive. Don't have a reputation of having a clean house in your heart. No, be honest with the Lord. Now, here's the thing. I used to say stuff like, everything dead need to be buried. Not used to. I still do. I'd be like, yo, everything dead need to be buried. God corrected me this week. Go back to Revelation. When I was, when I was reading how Sardis ended, because surely, after you said you got a reputation of being alive, but you really dead... I know the next, how the next few verses are going to read. You're condemning them. But he doesn't. He says you're dead, but I work with dead stuff. I know how to bring dead stuff back to life. And so what does he say? He says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. Is this all right? Y'all good? But, but you're really dead. Watch what he says in verse 2. Wake up! Strengthen that which remains and is ready to die. For I have found your works, complete, uh, uh, your works complete in the sight of my God. Not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Jesus says, look, I know y'all got a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. But I'm giving you an opportunity, the church at Sardis, to get it right. And I believe what he is saying to Sardis what was good for them is good for us. You might have a reputation of being alive, but you might be dead and you might be a flexitarian follower. But today is the day that Jesus gives you the opportunity to repent, which is why I love how he ends. He says, look, man, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Do you have an ear to hear from God? He's speaking today. Like, I don't know your business. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're into. I don't, I don't, I don't know your actions. But here's what I know. Jesus knows. He sees it. He exposed us today and said, I already know everything. And then he gives you a chance to get it right. And so he gives a five-fold directive action plan to repentance. Here's what he says. Wake up. Somebody say, wake up. He says, strengthen that which remains. Somebody say, strengthen what remains. 
He says, remember. Somebody say remember. He says, keep it. Somebody say, keep it. And then finally, he says, repent. Somebody scream, repent. What, what waking up is so important. Waking up is what is happening in your heart right now. When you're sitting there going, oh, man, like I do got to get it right. I haven't been faithful to the Lord. Like, I'm not all, like, I'm not, you know, vaping and, 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 and doing edibles. Like, I'm not all the way out there. But I'm, I've done enough not to be faithful to the Lord. Today, he's saying, wake up. Y'all got real quiet when I said vaping and edibles. <laughs> my, my two sons, they, they're both here. They wake up differently. Like, I, I can say, I can, I can whisper my, my oldest son's name, and he'll wake up. He'll get up. My youngest son, I got to beat pots. I got to open windows. I got to turn on lights. I got to pull covers because you wake up differently. And I don't know how you wake up, but here's what God doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to hear this sermon and hear his word and then hit the snooze button because you've hit it too many times. Y'all know we're going to hit that snooze button at least three or four times in the morning. At least sometimes we set our clock earlier. Am I right? To hit it a couple times, we can get that, you know, that pre-wake up. Y'all don't know nothing about that pre-wake up. God doesn't want that today. He, he's giving you a chance. He says, wake up. But don't just wake up. He says, strengthen that which remains. And then I love this part. And it's about to die. So in other words, he's saying that there's some stuff that's remained that's not dead. Strengthen that. And I don't, I don't know what that is in your life. But there are some things that are in your life, in your Christian walk, that, that you, you've kind of been going through life. And God is like, it's still something there. The reason you're here is because something's there. The reason you're online today is because something is still there and God wants us to wake up, strengthen that which remains and is about to die. And then he wants us to exercise uh, uh, the, the ability to remember. Because then he says, remember, remember what? What you received and heard. Well, what did you hear? The gospel. What is the gospel about? Jesus. So he says, remember Jesus. Do y'all remember when y'all first gave your life to the Lord? Like, dude, seriously, talk about, do you remember when you first gave your life to the Lord? I remember when I gave my life to the Lord. I remember my first sermon. I remember my first sermon. In fact, I don't know if you quoted it in the second service, but um, Chris quoted it. My glasses are foggy. Chris quoted it in, in the first service, Isaiah 43. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things, oh, behold, God is doing something, something new. He's going to make rivers in the deserts. And I remember when I first preached that sermon, I, was, I had knots in my stomach. I was up all night. I just wanted to get it right. My father was a Baptist preacher. So I'd go to him. He had this big blue. In fact, I got it in my, my little library now. This big blue concordance. I remember going through that thing and, and, and trying to get advice from him. On what, what should I say? And how should I say it? And I remember I was up all night. And now I've preached enough sermons that I know how to come in here, open my Bible, and just preach. Where, where's that remembering what he did? Where's that, where's that burden and that passion? And it's not just me. I know that's some of you. When you first gave your life to the Lord, you stay up all night praying. You submit to discipleship. You were serious about community. You were serious about coming to church. You were serious about being challenged. And somewhere along the line, it began to dwindle. And so what Jesus says today is, remember what you heard and seen. Remember, remember that first love. And he gets another church. In, I think it's the church at Ephesus about that. Remember that first love. When you first fell in love with me, and then he goes on to discipline, he says, and keep it. Remembering is not enough. It moves to discipline. And many of us in this room, if I'm honest, your issue really is that you just don't have enough discipline. Can I, can I, can I, can I mess you up a little bit today? I'm not angry, but let's be honest. We just don't have the discipline. And the crazy thing is we have the discipline in other areas. But we lack the discipline when it comes to our spiritual walk. And sometimes, you know, you got to discipline yourself to where you put prayer on your calendar. Because if you don't, it won't happen. You put devotion on your calendar. Because if you don't, it won't happen. And so he says, don't, don't only remember, but keep it. Exercise some level of discipline. And then finally, I'll, I'll end here. He ends by saying, repent. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning away from it. And doing something completely different. And what God is giving you in this room today, play something soft. He, he's giving you the ability to repent. The grace he's given Sardis right now to get it together. He says, some of y'all ain't soil your garments. He's giving you a chance to repent. And what am I repenting of? 
being halfway in my Christianity, being part-time? What am I repenting of? Being a flexitarian follower. What am I repenting of? Picking and choosing when I will be a Christian and when I won't. Sometimes we only pick to be a Christian when it comes to the things that Jesus says that we like. How many know Jesus don't say everything you like? There's some stuff I be read. I still read and I be like, oh, whatever. But I'm going to submit to it. Why am I going to submit to it? Because I know he know way better than I know. Some of you in this room are in that place where you need to do business with the Lord today. You need to do business because God will not tolerate our lukewarm faith. And he wants your heart today. Father, I pray for everybody that's in this room. There's somebody that's in this room that is sleep. And you've given us a wake-up call today. So, Lord, I pray, oh God, for those that need to recommit their life to you. And I know know we're in here. I I know we're here. So, Lord, let us not play games anymore. That young lady that's struggling with shame, Lord, I pray for her today. I pray that she would realize she's not what she did. And that you got more, thank you, Jesus. You got more grace than we got sin. You got more grace than we got sin. And some of us have a ton of it. But even a little, Lord, your holiness condemns it. And so, Lord, help us to faithfully love Jesus. Because he faithfully loves us. Pray for that young man that's been struggling with their walk. And we've gotten into some stuff. And honestly, we've compromised on the the core convictions that we have. We just loosened up. And I don't know what it was, but we, we just loosened up a little bit. And you've given us grace and you've been kind and merciful, but at some point it runs out. At some point you say no more. And Lord, I don't want to get to that place. I want to spend eternity at your feet. And I know that eternity means, yes, profession, but it's always backed up by my demonstration, my walk. And so, Father, help us to not just play church. It's whack, Lord. I don't want to play. I want to, I want to be faithful. I want to be serious. So everybody that's in this room, oh God, those who are struggling, would you do the work in our hearts? And, and may it be genuine. Not that I just came to church and, you know, I closed my eyes and did my, no, like genuine repentance and turning away. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.